Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I am senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy's international reporter, Zofia Zviglinska. Zofia, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, great to be on. Today, we're going to be talking about Louis Vuitton's new cafe and exhibition space in Paris, along with some of the other kind of experiential spaces that different fashion brands are opening. Um, we'll look at some data, newly released data on this past New York Fashion Week, some of the impact value there. And then finally, we're going to look at some of the slashed outlooks at brands like Under Armour and Canada Goose that have revised their, their sales forecasts and some of the reasons why. Some of them are reasons we've talked about and some of them are, are kind of new. Um, but let's start with Louis Vuitton. So uh, later this month, they're opening a space called LV Dream Space. Uh, in their Paris headquarters, it's going to be a cafe, there's going to be a chocolatier, uh, and then finally there's going to be an exhibition space with all these different rooms that kind of showcase the different artists they've worked with, um, like Takashi Murakami, Richard Prince, stuff like that. It's very experiential, and and this is something I think Louis Vuitton has done a lot of. They have restaurants um, attached to their stores in mm. Seoul, in South Korea, Um in Saint-Tropez and in Japan, like there's, they do a lot of stuff like this. Um, I, I also took note of a couple other brands that are opening these sort of uh, non-retail spaces, um, but we can talk about those in a, in a, a minute. But uh, it, it seems like it's kind of a luxury thing to just have like, you know, a cafe or a fancy restaurant attached to your store. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Sophia, like that strategy? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, recently, especially brands are seeing that, you know, these experiential things are really popular with their customers. Um, and they also offer kind of like a lower entry price point to go into this brand world. So, you know, for LV, like a lot of their purchases are kind of all of the small items, so leatherware and things like that. But you know, to bring in more customers, I think opening up these experiences gives um, customers a taste of the, the brand world, the aesthetics, what their values are, um, you know, bringing in all of these art pieces kind of makes them stick around a little bit longer as well. And then there's a lot of these cafes and restaurants. I think they even have a restaurant that's opening in Shanghai this week or next week for Louis Vuitton. And I think that a lot of those spaces are going to just explode in popularity. Like you've already seen food collections in you know, the the mooncakes that are sent out to influencers around the Chinese New Year from brands are really popular. Um, they're also very popular on social media. I think Harrods opened a Prada cafe and that like was an absolute hit. I think they've got Jimmy Choo one this month or last month. Um, and I think it's just more of those crossovers between food and fashion are going to be like an evolution of that customer experience and to bring, you know, more customers into this brand world. Yeah, definitely. I, I always think about who the target customer would be for these kinds of things. And it makes perfect sense to me. Uh, Louis Vuitton is one of those brands that people people will like put the LV logo on something that's not from there just because they, you know, it has yeah. such a value. So <laughs> I feel like it's a brand that can get away with, you know, trying out all sorts of non-fashion related things because people are just such fans of the brand mm. that they will, they will attend. They will seek that stuff out just to be sort of in the orbit um, of that world. I mean, like if you couldn't afford Louis Vuitton, a Louis Vuitton bag, but you could afford a Louis Vuitton croissant from the Louis Vuitton cafe. I feel like that's a good way 
you know, sort of to get in the door a little bit. And, and, you know, I always think about that with that. I remember a couple of years ago, I don't know if this is still true, but like Gucci, um, I think for a while, one of their best selling products was the socks because they're cheapest, you know, (laughs) and it was a way for people to just own something Gucci without having to spend a ton of money. So I feel like these things can kind of serve as a way into the brand a little bit. Mm, Definitely. I think that the Gucci one, like the belt, for example, like that's still a cult kind of classic and it's definitely on the lower end of the price point. But, you know, kind of more anecdotally, like one of the favorite places for people to go in Milan, for example, for food is to go to the Prada Cafe when they're at the Prada kind of like main um, event space in Milan. And then, you know, in London, there's an Anya Hindmark Cafe that opened relatively recently. And I think that that food kind of entryway is just an easy way for, for brands to kind of get in with more customers open themselves up to like new creative concepts as well because obviously you're talking about food you've got so many options to like delve into you could do like a cafe like Ralph Lauren has a cafe in London as well um like all of these brands are kind of seeing that you know to really bring in customers they have to make it a space where people want to be in for a longer period of time not just for shopping but just also you know for other experiences too and I think that that also goes to you know, the Louis Vuitton dream space, which is kind of more of an exhibition center as well. I think that's interesting because a lot of big museums have been doing um, fashion exhibitions, but bringing that space kind of back into the brand, it kind of gives the power back to the brand in a way rather than having it, you know, elsewhere. Yeah, rather than like an LV exhibition at some other museum. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I, I So I um, wrote down two other examples just sort of to show the different ways that that brands have done this. Um, just this week, there is, uh, I think by the time this comes out, it will it will be open. Um, there's a Louisiana-based eyewear brand called Crew that I've kind of been talking with a little bit. And they just opened a, a store in Chelsea in Manhattan that also has like a full-fledged wine shop inside and it's got all this other cool stuff. Um, and then uh, I think this was a couple of months ago, but there's a streetwear brand called Culture Kings that opened a big flagship store in Las Vegas. And that has like a recording studio in it. It's got a basketball court. Um, I I was told that there's a secret room in the store that they don't sort of advertise. But if you find it, it's like where they keep all the, it's not like <laughs> off limits. It's not employees only. Like you can go in, but it's just not advertised. And that's where they keep all the super expensive sneakers and stuff. Um, I feel like there's a lot of ways to kind of, I mean, and that last one is more just like, a normal store, but it's got all this extra stuff packed into it. And I feel like that's a great way to kind of expand the whole retail experience, especially as people shop in stores more, which I've been hearing from, you know, tons of different industry people that brick and mortar is, is coming back in a big way. So I feel like we'll probably see a lot more of those investments. Yeah. I think that the culture things, um, the culture Kings is coming out as a piece on glossy today. Um, oh. by me so because that flagship store well, is actually go. opening tomorrow or Saturday so there you go well there you go I had no idea you were writing about that um <laughs> perfect uh <laughs> let's talk about um New York Fashion Week so uh back in September um Jill and I both attended a bunch of shows and we did a podcast about it and we both talked about how it felt very back um you know we've been going to all of the New York Fashion Week stuff the last couple of years and I feel like it's been this subdued affair um, even in February of, of this year, it was kind of still sort of, eh, it was like kind of cold and there wasn't a ton of super exciting stuff happening. Um, 
but in September it felt very much like that excitement and spectacle. Um, anyway, so this week Launch Metrics put out some of their data uh, around this past New York Fashion Week, um, and actually data for all of the big Fashion Week events in Milan, Paris, London, and uh, and New York, um, all of which had uh, a much bigger media impact. Um, that's sort of how Launch Metrics quantifies. Uh, the value of like exposure and social media posts and all that stuff. And, and New York Fashion Week had the biggest jump from the previous season of like 145% more media impact value uh, compared to February. Um, and then I think it was Milan next with like 40 something percent and Paris kind of the same. And then London had so just a little jump, but they all were positive. Like they were all up from the the previous season. So it's good for me anyway to just feel that my hunch was kind of confirmed that it that it definitely was more impactful. Um, yeah, what what did you think, Sophia? You obviously you weren't at New York Fashion Week, but we talked a lot about it, and and you went to London and um, yeah. Did you go to Milan or Paris? I forget. Um, I went to Paris for one of the days, um, right. but I didn't stay for the whole thing just because I think it, it dragged on for about 10 days compared to the, the weekly period. So it was a very long one. Um, but I think that, you know, the launch metrics data kind of shows that, you know, um, the different ways that each of those cities approached um, COVID lo lockdowns has probably had an impact. London was already relatively open last season. So I think that probably also was why it got the smallest increase, just because the format was relatively similar um, by the time that, you know, this fashion week rolled around. But I think with New York, a lot of the like shows and activations were really interesting and kind of cool. Um, I think it's sometimes quite hard to pin down like what New York style and kind of aesthetic is. And I think this time the brands that, you know, focused on Americana and like the, the more kind of preppy brands like Tommy kind of brought in a younger edge. I think all of that contributed to like a much more interesting experience that was very experiential. So again, it's kind of going back to those um, ideas of shows as almost like spectacles, but also experiences and parties and all of those things that kind of make Fashion Week the, the fascinating event that it is. Yeah, I mean, and London, understandably, did not have a ton of parties going on, uh, <laughs> given recent yeah. events. But uh, the other thing that Launch Metrics called out, and I, th I thought this was true, was a lot of, at New York, there was a lot of um, surprise appearances, you know? Uh, there was the Bella Hadid um, spray-on dress was a, a huge moment. I mean, we talked, we had dedicated an entire segment of the podcast to talk about that. But also smaller <laughs> things like, Share uh, showed up at the Ballman show and walked. Oh, like yeah. there was all there was all sorts of these surprising moments, and I feel like that's the value and and the appeal of Fashion Week in general is you go to these shows and you don't know what's going to happen. Like losing out on that, I think the the previous seasons, the last couple of years, have been sort of had their own share of surprises in that they might get canceled or something last minute. Um, yeah. But we're lacking some of that sort of, ooh, who are we going to see? I mean, I know someone who went to a Fashion Week event years ago and, you know, went to some party not knowing that, um, I think it was the Backstreet Boys just randomly <laughs> appeared and, like, performed two or three songs completely not not announced or anything. It's just, it just happens. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's one of the things that's fun about New York Fashion Week. So I think that surprise element of who, and, and mm. the guest appearance, who's going to be on the, the runway, who's going to be in the crowd, who's going to appear and perform a song or something can be 
really valuable too. And New York definitely had that this past season. Yeah, I think that creating those viral moments as well is just something that brands have gotten a lot more savvy with. As you know, kind of social media has taken a bigger turn for them in in their brand value. So I think that, you know, having those viral moments like the Caperni dress um, or, you know, as you said, like the share appearance of the Belmar show, I think it just adds a lot more to the brand, you know, to make that impact, to make it so that that show is remembered kind of well past um, fashion week itself because that has obviously lasting impact for the brand as well and I think that you know with launch metrics like that's one of the values that they track as well yeah definitely um, let's move on to our last topic um, so let me preface this by saying Canada Goose and Under Armour are not the only fashion brands uh, experiencing problems right now or revising their outlooks but they are the two that had announcements about it right before we recorded this so we're going to use them as examples but <laughs> Definitely not meaning to just single these two out. There's there's a lot of um, pressure going on for everyone. But anyway, these two brands, both pretty big, you know, international brands, um, both kind of revised their, they had earnings this week and, and uh, revised their outlooks for the rest of the quarter, for the rest of the year, um, downward. Uh, so Under Armour lowered its sales growth forecast from 7% to 5%. And its income from between three hundred million and three hundred twenty-five million dollars to two hundred seventy and to two hundred ninety million dollars, so down a little bit. And at the same time, Canada Goose revised its sales forecast from nine hundred forty million dollars down to around eight hundred eighty-two million dollars, um, which I think is even more in Canadian dollars. Um, but anyway, uh, the the thing that I thought was interesting between these two, um, I mean, they both have unique kind of circumstances and. Um, and some shared circumstances as well. Um, so for Under Armour, there most of the this pressure came from declining sales in North America, um, but then they had sales up in places like the Middle East and Asia. Meanwhile, Canada Goose had the opposite, where it said most of its problems and sales dropping were from China, where they had store closures and their sales dropped like almost five percent there. Um, so I was looking at that and I was like, okay, maybe there's, you know, they, they cited the zero COVID policy and stuff like that in China. But so I was like, okay, I guess there's, they, they sort of implied that luxury um, sales in China are not doing so well because the Canada Goose considers its coats to be sort of a luxury product. But then LVMH had like a 22% increase in sales in China at the same time. So I'm not hundred percent sure what's going on there for between the regions. Um, Obviously, Canada Goose and Under Armour are not in the same boat, but Canada Goose and LVMH kind of are. They're both sort of upscale. And and I don't know. What, do you have any thoughts on that uh, around the kind of the geographic? I don't know why I said it like that. The geographic <laughs> effects that all these brands are feeling. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I think the Under Armour thing is kind of um, relatively surprising as well because I didn't expect that the declining sales would affect North America already. Um, I know that with the Fed interest rate hikes, um, kind of which literally happened yesterday, I think that that's going to affect brands over the next coming six months. But uh, I'd be surprised if that had like a huge impact on brands in North America so far. In in terms of China, um, I think the Canada Goose aspect might be an ex exception. 
just because I think most luxury brands are reporting relatively good sales from China right now. Um, I don't think that there's any kind of major reason for um, why there would be less customers in stores or buying online in China. And I think that a lot of luxury brands are actually doubling down their focus right now on China just because it's such a big part of their market. Um, so I'm not quite sure what's going on with Canada Goose, but um, I think that possibly that aspect of having too much inventory and maybe not positioning their brand as, you know, as much of a luxury product as something like LVMH, which has, you know, a long kind of history. And, you know, there's customers even from China traveling to Paris just to get, you know, a, a bag from from the brand. I think that the positioning might be slightly different. And it might be a reason why it's considered this kind of less of an investment product than, you know, the more traditional Parisian-based um, luxury brands. Yes. So I, I think every anytime a company has, you know, lowered forecasts or whatever, they always want to blame macro conditions, things outside their control. And then that's totally fair. I, I do wonder just because all the, a lot of other luxury brands or um, similar brands to Canada Goose are doing well in China. I wonder if it was just mm. sort of an inventory miscalculation on their part or something. Um, last thing I'll say also for Under Armour, uh, another interesting bit from their their numbers is that their apparel and accessories revenue was down, but their footwear sales were up a lot, like 14%. And that's intriguing to me because I imagine, I mean, this would be my my uneducated you know, guess would have been that their Footwear is where they face the most competition from like Nike or Adidas and apparel or accessories is where there's a little bit more room for other athletic brands to, to do well. I mean, Nike and Adidas just utterly dominate sneakers, particularly Nike. Um, mm. But I was looking into it and I, I kind of missed a little bit that um, Under Armour has been doing a little bit more interesting stuff on, around sneakers, not just workout shoes, but kind of like more lifestyle sneakers too. I think they're have a recurring signature shoe with Steph Curry, um, and I'm I'm sure that does very well for them. So there there's a little interesting nugget there of Under Armour maybe trying to be a little more competitive on the the sneaker front. Um, but let's call it there. This was a great episode. Thank you so much for joining, Sophia. Thank you. For those of you listening, if you haven't given us a rating and a review for the Glossy Podcast. Uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. Please do so. It helps us out a lot. Uh, and you should also subscribe to the Glossy Podcast too to hear weekend review episodes every Friday and also interview episodes with cool industry insiders every Wednesday. Uh, once again, thanks for listening. And Zofia, thanks for being here. Thank you.